0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. They stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and answered the call. They moved forward, advancing the ideas that everyone was free, everyone was created equal, Everyone has the right to pursue their own dreams and that our nation was founded on those ideals But not all of them came back Some remained never to go home never to see their families And some we lost this side of the field of battle They were sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, greatly loved. They charged forward for honor and peace and freedom. We acknowledge the empty space where we want them to be. Together we pay sincere tribute to those who fought for us. Those we remember, those we love.
1: You know, Jesus himself uttered the words that greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And, you know, literally millions of Americans have given their lives over the existence of our nation's history as an act of love. And I I think all of us need to take some moments today, tomorrow, to reflect on that. Uh, Maybe maybe Google a a soldier's story um, of sacrifice and maybe read about uh, one who gave their life so that we could gather and do what we're doing today. Opening God's Word together and uh, worshiping uh, our, our Lord, that our Jesus, who made the ultimate sacrifice, who gave His life for us, and then gave us new life in Him. He, you know, He talked about being born again as part of His story for us, that we would be born once again. And this morning. Uh, I want us to take some time to think about uh, a birth story. You know, we all have one. You you know that, right? Now, um, I know some of you think you can remember your birth. Um, I can't. The only thing I remember about my birth is what my parents have told me. Uh, My mom, some of you met my mom before she went home to be with the Lord. My mom on a really tall day was about 4'9". 4'10", 4'11", maybe. I think she used to tell people she was 4'11". She was a very petite woman. And um, the story about my birth that's most prominent when my mom told it was, I had a big head. <laughs> um, not because I you know, was arrogant back then, but just physically. Um, and I'm not going to say any more than that about that. That um, was just the truth. So that's part of my birth story. Uh, our oldest daughter, Caitlin... Uh, You know, we have a birth story related to her. Uh, Caitlin got into some distress during delivery, and doctors decided that she needed to be taken through C-section. So they were kind of prepping Kathy to do an emergency C-section, and the anesthesiologist got stuck. Apparently, all the anesthesiologists in the hospital were busy, in other surgery or something, the anesthesiologist they called in got stuck in traffic, and so Kathy was, you know, uh, there, there's a birth story there. I'm not going to tell you all the details of that, but there was a birth story there, and you know, birth stories are filled with all kinds of things. There's there's drama and you know intrigue. Uh, a lot of times they're very noisy um, when they occur, but but we we all have one, every last one of us, because. We, you know, we, we were born. Now, I want us to look at a story of a birth today. The birth of the church. The bride of Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to ask you to make your way to Acts chapter 2 to look at this. If you were able to do a spiritualancestry.com, if you are able to do that, um, you would be able to trace your spiritual heritage and DNA back to what we read about today. You know, if, you, if you've trusted Christ, the Spirit of the living God is living in you. According to Scripture, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You were born again. And that's what that, that's about. Then you can trace your spiritual kind of DNA back to this moment. Now, as you're getting there, Acts 2, just a little context of what's going on, what's happened. Jesus had been raised from the dead, and He spent 40 days With his apostles and the other disciples, estimated somewhere around about 120 people. He spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' primary message. We talked a lot about that lately. And he told them that he was going to leave them soon. And that they should not leave Jerusalem. But that they should stay in Jerusalem to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, many of you know this passage of Scripture. Jesus told his apostles and disciples, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and uh, over the whole earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. That was a great promise, great, great promise. And so the disciples and apostles, they wait. They stay in Jerusalem, they wait. They wait it faithfully. For 10 days, they waited. And on the 10th day, after Jesus was ascended, there was a birth. And like we've already said about most births, there was some drama, there was some mystery to it, there was some some noise, some powerful things happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, read this with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, talking about the disciples that and apostles, that group of about 120 believers at this point. And I want you to notice that Luke, who's doing the writing here, uh, the physician Luke, that he gives us an account in detail, like he was so good at, um, and he tells us the day that the church was born. And the church was born on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost already existed. It, you know, oftentimes I think people in the New Testament think that that's all Pentecost was about. But Pentecost was a Hebrew day of celebration. It was, uh, uh, it was actually kind of like their 4th of July. They were celebrating their birth a, as a nation because Pentecost, it, it, it means 50 days. It was 50 days after Passover. And on that 50th day that they celebrate, they're celebrating when God gave the Torah, the law of God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And those were, if you want to think of them a, a certain way, they were kind of like they're incorporating documents as, uh, as a people, is what they were doing. So they were founded as, as a nation at, at that moment, as God's covenant people in the law, and they were called by God to do that. So they would gather annually In Jerusalem, it was one of three uh, what what they call pilgrim festivals where Jews, good Jews, were basically required to make their way back to Jerusalem and to celebrate the birth of their nation, the birth of the giving of the law. And on that very same day, God gives birth to the church. Acts 2, let's pick up in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were, sitting. That's an interesting word, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, some translations say other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were sitting. Now, you know, one of the things that's fascinating to me about that That word being planted there, and Luke giving us that detail is this promised gift came to them not when they were doing something. So they didn't earn this gift. It was, they were just sitting, they were waiting, they were not what I would call doing anything. And then Luke gives us kind of two metaphors to describe. What occurs? What happens? He, he explains the details of it in ways that we get, get captured by. And the first of those metaphors is this mighty rushing wind. There was a sound, he says, like a mighty rushing wind. And I, I just want to say, I, I would argue that what we're reading about right now is really one of the most important events that's ever happened in the history of the world. This was an incredible moment. Again, Luke gives us these details. He tells us the church is sitting. They're not, they're not praying. They're not fasting. It doesn't say that, you know, they're serving. They're, 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 they're just sitting there. And again, it says, suddenly there came from heaven. While they were sitting there, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were. Now, if you were a first century Jew and you would read About this, Let's say you were reading Luke's gospel for the very first time. And let's say maybe you were reading it in the Greek language. You were a New Testament Jew who was in a Greek culture. You would read that word that's translated um, here for when is the word pneuma. It's also the same word for spirit in the Greek language. If you were an Old Covenant, Old Testament, you know, Hebrew reading this, and you were reading it in the Hebrew language, it would have been the word ruach. And it is also, that word is translated as spirit or wind or, or, or breath. This, this Hebrew word ruach is really a fascinating word because it, it comes into play at another kind of birth in Genesis chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, you can read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, or the breath of God, or the Ruach of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. See, friends, at the very beginning, at the very beginning, the, the, the Ruach, the, 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 the moving, creative, dynamic, life-giving breath of God was there at the birth of, of creation. And it says it hovered, it blew across the, the emptiness, the void of the earth at that time. And then the Ruach, it shows back up again. If you turn the page of your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath, the Ruach, the spirit of, of life, and the man became a living creature. In other words, the Spirit of God moves over Adam and he animates this pile, pile of dirt, dust basically, into this living, moving, breathing human being. And so when when Luke is using this this metaphor of of the wind to describe the movement and activity of what's going on, we get this, we get this picture. This, this image of what's going on in Pentecost. And Luke is pulling out of the Old Testament and explaining what's taking place now in, in this day on Pentecost. And he's saying something that was like birth in creation, something that was birthed in Adam, something else is being birthed today. In the same way Adam was, so the church of Jesus is being birthed. And it declared this kind of creative coming power of God that would inaugurate a new way to be human, a new way to live in which men and women could be brought to to spiritual wholeness and and, and healing by the birth of of the Spirit. But it wasn't just that. There's another image that Luke uses to describe the activity of what's taking place. Acts 2, verse 3, it says, and divided this this movement of God, the Spirit of God, divided as tongues as a fire, it appeared to them, and then it rested on each one of them. Tongues, tongues of fire came and, and, and made itself present. And then it rested on each individual in the room. Now, in the Old Testament, fire almost always symbolized the presence of God. And remember now, Pentecost was the celebration of the day that God had given the law. That they had become this nation under God's law. And guess what was there? Fire. Fire was there. If you don't remember it, Acts chapter 19, verse 18 tells us, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in what? Say it. Fire. The the Lord's presence was there. On the same day that fire came down to Sinai, fire came down into that, that upper room. And this time what was different, instead of it kind of being for a nation, it was for individuals. Symbolizing the presence of God and the power of God, breathing on individual people. This is the way the church is born. born. And friends, if you're a Christ follower who has been sealed by the Holy Spirit living in you, this is your spiritual DNA. This is your origin story, These two kind of images are true for you and me. This this breath of God in us, this fire is to burn in our bones. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's just the truth about you and me. And this is important for lots of reasons. You know, in the same way that you carry the physical DNA of your birth parents, you carry the Pentecost DNA uh, of Acts chapter 2. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is this is true for you. Uh, Paul, Paul claimed this. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. He said this, he says, God's no longer, he's no longer writing with ink on tablets. He's not doing that any longer. But he's writing by his spirit on human hearts. So let me invite you to write this down if you're taking notes. Today's, this is kind of today's big idea for today's message. Through the promised spirit, we walk in God's presence and God's power. Today, right now, our our DNA is that we can be filled with the spirit of the living God. Now, you may or may not know this, the church struggles with this. The church struggles with this in lots of ways. And if you were to to do kind of analysis of the Capital C Church uh, uh, around the world, I think you might see what many have seen is that there's kind of like two camps on the Holy Spirit. One one camp is, and, and let me say this, I don't think either of them are really biblical or even healthy. First camp is the camp that sensationalizes the Holy Spirit. Second camp is the camp that silences the Holy Spirit. Now, I've seen some people try to kind of sensationalize the Spirit. Some weird things get done in the name of the Spirit. There are people who, you know, it's called barking in the Spirit. And they'll literally bark like an animal. Um, There there are people who will do things like, they, they, they call them fire tunnels. And they'll create these fire tunnels and they'll run through them in the Spirit. Weird theologies get kind of built up when, when sensationalism of the Spirit is taking place. And, you know, they'll, they'll, there'll be a teaching that rises up that if you just believe hard enough, if you have enough faith, that God will do, He'll have to do whatever you ask of Him. And, and when He doesn't, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith if you'd have just believed more. And so there's this sensationalizing of the Spirit. And that often causes the pendulum to swing for many way the other way, where we just kind of silence the Spirit, saying, no, 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 we're not going for that stuff. So we're just going to kind of put the Spirit in a box. And in those circles, the Holy Trinity becomes the Father, Son, and the Holy Scripture, And the Holy Spirit kind of gets pushed out the way instead of it being the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, theologically, there's a phrase called cessationism that kind of fits that theology. And cessationists would have you believe that though Satan, that spiritual being Satan, is just as active as he was in the New Testament days, the Spirit, on the other hand, isn't. That's what cessationism would teach. And I don't believe that's true. I don't find either of those in God's Word. And cessationism, to me, is, is hopeless Christianity. It just doesn't give us hope for today. To quote Francis Chan on this, he says, In many ways, the Spirit has become the forgotten God. And and that's the title of of a great little book he wrote about the Holy Spirit. It's just simply entitled, The Forgotten God. I I would encourage you, if you're looking to know more about the Holy Spirit in our day, you you might want to pick that up and read it. A.W. Tozer, that great theologian, A.W. Tozer, he wrote kind of a scathing article about the church of our day. He said this, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would have stopped, and everybody would know the difference. That's a sad commentary on the New Testament church in our day. Friends, it's not silencing, nor is it sensationalizing. And so somebody might ask, well, where's that happy medium? Well, it's not really about finding a medium. It's finding what's biblical. What what does the Bible say? And we don't want to silence the Spirit, nor do we want to sensationalize the Spirit. I believe that the biblical perspective is to surrender to the Spirit. And maybe you want to write this down. I believe a biblically balanced approach to the Holy Spirit is to neither silence nor to sensationalize the Spirit, but always Always, always, always learn to surrender to the working of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to make a clarifying statement now, and I'm probably going to make it again before the morning's over. So please hear me on this, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the events that we see at Pentecost and these ecstatic signs um, that we see happen to every believer. This is a unique event in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. It never gets repeated identically anywhere else. But I am saying that we still, if we're followers of Jesus, if the Spirit lives in us, we have the DNA effect in us of Pentecost so many years ago. It's part of our spiritual DNA, and we have to, we have to connect to that. We have to, to live in that because God calls us to be filled with the Spirit. And when we are... We live a different kind of life. So let's look at what happened in the early church. Many of you know that when a baby is born, one of the things that doctors do really, really quickly is they do an assessment. It's called an APGAR test. And the APGAR test is basically kind of checking on the functionality and the, the health of a baby. And in so many ways, in Acts chapter 2, there's kind of a a spiritual Apgar test that that shows up. And I want you to just kind of notice these with me, uh, starting in verse 4. Let's read there. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. Now, just history real quick. Some of you will remember there's this uh, historical event called the uh, Diaspora of the Jewish nation when they were uh, kind of taken captive and and hauled off to Babylon and then dispersed into uh, points all around what would be the known world uh, of, of that day. And then when on these... Pilgrim festivals, they would all come back into Jerusalem. Now, they had assimilated into their own cultures where where they were living. They had started speaking that language. The Hebrew wasn't kind of like their native tongue anymore. They began getting connected to that culture. Now, they've come back to Jerusalem to celebrate this great festival and so, you know, the, the Hebrew language doesn't fall on their ears real well. They may not even be able to understand. And God comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. And as they're all gathered together, they are able to hear the message of Jesus in their own heart language. The language that, of their culture, if you would. Can you just imagine that? I mean, it would, it, it would, well, look at what it says in verse 7. They were amazed. You think? I mean, wouldn't you be? It says, they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Friends, that was a put-down, just in case you didn't know that. They were basically saying, aren't these those country bumpkins? How did they learn to speak all these different languages? What's up with it? It was a put-down. Continue, it says, and how is it that we hear each of us In his own native language, Parthians and Meses and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That's a great question. Great question. It's going to get answered. Then verse 13, it says, but others, they weren't asking questions. They were mocking those, saying they're filled with new wine. Now, here's what I want you to notice out of this, that when the church is birthed, the church begins to speak. When the church is born, it starts making noise. Now, if you've ever been a part of a birth, Though a baby doesn't start talking right away, they usually start making noise. And they normally keep making noise into the wee mornings of the hour, or the wee hours of the morning. And, you know, waking you up from the noise they make. Friends, when when a new birth came, when when the church was born, the church immediately started making noise. Now, again, there is no shortage of debate in, in Christianity Um, Over the issue of tongues. But please hear me say this. That debate really has nothing to do with the text that we look at today. Because this is clearly identified as a different language. A different language. So I want to give you my... Acts 2 definition of tongues as it's used here. I'm not talking about how it's used in other places in the Bible because it is used differently in some places. But in Acts chapter 2, the Acts 2 definition of tongues is this. It's a supernatural ability to speak an intelligible language that you have not learned so that people who don't yet know Jesus can hear about him. Being supernaturally infused with an ability, a divine ability to speak a language that you never learned so that other people can hear about Jesus. That's what tongues in Acts 2 was about, verse 11. We we, we hear hear them telling in our own language. Uh, That's the way that that word gets translated and uh, tongues gets translated there as in another language. Thank you, honey. Pause for a moment. Just talk among yourselves. Excuse me. But in, in Acts chapter 2, that was the substance of what was going on. See, there, when, when people argue and bicker about the Holy Spirit, they're debating usually theological fine points. They're not really talking about the substance of what the Spirit was doing. The Spirit was moving so that people could know Jesus, could hear about the mighty works that God did on the cross of Christ and in, in the resurrection. And it was done in such a way that they could hear it in their own language, in their own culture, so it could be contextualized for them. You, maybe you want to write this down. I don't know. The Holy Spirit's arrival shows us something. It shows us that we, the Holy Spirit's in us, we have the power to proclaim, the power to proclaim the truth of Jesus. God has given us a unique power to do that. And on that day, when that message was given... 3,000 people heard that message in such a way that they gave their lives to Jesus. And the Bible goes on in Acts to tell us, and every day after that, they continued to add daily to the number who knew and heard about Jesus. It was an instantaneous megachurch. I cannot imagine the logistical struggles of 3,000 people coming to Jesus. Can you imagine the baptism at the beach that day? Man, that would have been a blast. Just That would have been just crazy to get to participate in. Now maybe, I don't know, maybe you, when, when we were reading that list of those countries, maybe you were saying, well, what was, why, why were those, were they just random countries named? Or were they significant? Well, they, it was significant. And Luke points this out. He does an incredible job of helping us come to understand. He was naming countries that spanned east to west, south to north. He was basically pointing to the known World at that day and time. That the people present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, they were going to be the ones where the seeds of the gospel would now be taken out to all the nations. This is where this is going to happen. The church is playing offense now. The church is on the move. No longer would they try to get people to come to, you know, the light of Jerusalem and to the temple of Jerusalem. Friends, the Spirit had left the temple. The Spirit had already left the temple. So they were they were they were taking the message to the uttermost parts of the earth, starting in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. From the very beginning. The gospel was heard in, in their own heart language. And th- they didn't use the gospel to colonize people. The gospel came and was contextualized to them where they were so that they would know, in Jesus, you're welcome. No matter where you come from, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, in, in the gospel of Jesus, you are welcomed. You can have a home here. That's, that's what the gospel is. You don't need to become like us. You don't need to change. This message is for you, right where you live, work, and play. That's the gospel of Jesus. Verse 14, let's press on. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice. Now remember, they're all talking. They're all been kind of speaking in a, in a language. And Peter, Peter takes it up a notch. He, he, he kicks it up a, an octave, and he's, he addressed them all. He said, "'Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words.'" For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I I love Peter's practical kind of nature here. Peter says, they're not drunk. Dude, it's only 9 a.m. You know, it's it's not happening. I also love, I love that Peter was chosen by God to preach that day. To preach the first sermon of this newly born church he wasn't the first evangelist mary magdalene was the first evangelist of the resurrection but peter he got to be the first preacher of the good news only 52 days after his benedict arnold moment only 52 less than two months after he denied jesus denied even knowing him he is being honored by jesus To be the one to stand up and preach and and proclaim the the good news. Friends, if that is not an illustration of the power of God to change a life, I don't know what is. And it points to this reality. That out of our brokenness, out out of our frailty, the message of grace and mercy can change anybody. And it was being given that day. By the one who had been a a huge recipient. Uh, Peter, if you have read the story of of Peter's life and interaction with Jesus, you know this. Peter sucked up a lot of grace. He just did, man. That boy was a, he just sucked it up. He needed a lot of it. But now he's dispensing it. And there's this beautiful picture of of a capacity that any of us can carry the good news of God. And it can flow out of our imperfections. It can flow out of our fractures. You know, Paul's another one. Paul had been putting people to death and Paul was the one who wrote to the church at Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians 4:7 and talked about, you know, we're nothing but cracked pots. We're earthen vessels, just broken earthen vessels that God can use. Any of us when we're filled with his spirit, you can carry the grace of God. You can communicate it. And that was that happened to the church in, in the beginning. And so Peter stands, and one of the things he does is he answers that great question from verse 12, and he does it in verse 16. Here's what Peter answers, verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter said that question that you're asking, what's happening, comes straight out of the prophet Joel, and it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like Peter said, don't you know your Bible? Why are you even asking this question? We've been waiting on this since the prophet Joel. Hundreds of years we've been waiting on this to happen, and now it's come. And then he quotes the prophet. And in the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit, my ruach, my breath, my my life, my pneuma in the New Testament. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All of your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, Peter is claiming here that what is happening is the outpouring of God's Spirit that had been prophesied by Joel. It's being fulfilled in this moment. Now, now you may say, well, what about all that blood and moon and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, smoke and fire and vapor? Joe's opinion, I believe all of those are yet to come. All of Joel is not being fulfilled here. Part of it had been on Pentecost. Part of it is yet to come. And that part will happen when Jesus returns. When he comes back to set up his eternal reign on this earth and we'll be his people and he'll be our God. But this first part is being fulfilled in their midst on on Pentecost Day. And I want you to notice something It's very, very important about what happened to the church that day at the birth of the church for those gathered in Jerusalem. This fulfillment of the prophet Joel, fulfillment was taking place with three distinctives. Prophecy, visions, and dreams. So from the very beginning, the launch of the church, God gives them prophecies and dreams and visions. And I believe he's doing that in order to say, I am with you. And I love you. And I'm always going to be moving you forward. You're not just this little band of 120, you know, ragtag sect of Judaism. That's not who you are. You are my new covenant people. And you are sealed with the Spirit, each and every one of you, so that you can do something great and glorious for my name. And it was that way from the beginning of the church. God was infusing a spirit of expectation that they would make an impact, that they would, they would have a power to proclaim. And I would invite you to write the second thing down. The Holy Spirit's arrival also shows us that we have a presence to guide us. We have a power to proclaim, but we have a presence to guide us. Now, friends, I would argue that right here in the context of Acts 2, prophecy is the big category of what God gives at Pentecost. And I mention that because it's mentioned in verse 17 and verse 18. It was so important. Prophecy was so important to the early church that Paul writes uh, in in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, and he says this. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. Do you know you were commanded to do that? You were commanded to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, to long for it, to pray for it, to to kind of push into it when God God brings it to you. Now, some of you are saying, okay, okay, Joe, I hear you. What is it? What, what, What is this prophecy thing all about? Glad you asked. Prophecy in the New Testament kind of has two tracks. The first part of the tract is kind of foretelling. Kind of, it has some future attached to it. This, this is going to happen. But then it's also forth telling. It's telling, speaking the truth that exists already. Just real quickly look at both of those for a moment. First is future focused in, in the New Testament. And it's an insight that is given by God, by, through the Spirit, but friends, here's what it's mostly for. It's mostly for the preparation of God's people, not just for the sake of a prediction. We get so sucked into, oh, it's a prediction. It's about you being prepared. You receiving a word. Now, in that day, we see, it, we see this happening in interesting ways. We see Paul being kind of led through prophecy. We we see all all kinds of things, but here's something that I want to say. It's not saying when you when you hear somebody, you know, speaking about a prophetic word, it is not and you should never take it with the same authority as the written word of God. It is not it is not equal to the written word of God. It's not exact. It's to help you be prepared. To give you some insight and some direction. See, prophecy was used in the early church. Uh, through a prophetic word, God let uh, his people know that a famine was coming. He let Paul know that, no, you can't go there, you need to go over here. We, you know, we get, it, it was used to encourage the church. Uh, if you go to Acts 21 later today and read, you'll read about... Um, it's called, he's called the, Philip the evangelist. He was actually Philip that was one of the first seven deacons mentioned early in Acts. And he has four daughters now. He's moved to Caesarea to be this evangelist. He has four daughters who live with him. And they, the Bible says that they are prophesying in the church of Caesarea. They're, they're proclaiming about God in Acts chapter 21. See, prophecy, while foretelling I believe in our day is much more needed, forth-telling. More of God's people need to be telling forth the truth, the good news, the hope that we have in Jesus. That, that hope, it might, and, and the Holy Spirit works in this. He will give you a word for somebody else. But you got to give that to somebody else lightly and let go and, and, and not control it. It might be for an individual or a whole community, Oftentimes, it's mostly for for you, for yourself. See, prophecy is is a telling of the truth in many ways. Here's one of the great ways that the prophetic word of God works in the church today. It's when the church speaks out on behalf of those with no power. When When the church stands in the gap for people who don't have A a, a voice, a prophetic word means that we speak the truth that already exists to power. And prophecy, again, was so important to Paul that he encouraged the, the church at Thessalonica. He said, do not quench the spirit. And then he describes the way that happens. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. I love Paul's balance here. It's just such a beautiful thing. Paul says, don't you dare ever just categorically write off prophecy. Don't you do it. It would be sin. It would be wrong. And don't you receive every prophecy as gospel truth. Because it's not on the same plane. That would be foolish, he says. No, no, no. He says, open yourself up to God. Open yourself up to His Spirit moving and speaking to you directly. But then ask this question, is what I'm hearing in line with the Scriptures? Hold that up and look at it through the lens of of God's written Word. And then I love what Paul says. He says, and hold on to what is good. Because that's that's what's going to stick. Is that which is in alignment with God's Word. It's kind of like he's saying, chew that meat up, baby. Get all the nutrients out of it. Spit out the bones. uh, Don't don't take that somewhere it's not intended to be. That was the Apostle Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired perspective on on the gift given through the spirit uh, of prophecy. And and the church today is called to the same thing. For instance, this is in our DNA. It should be a fire in our bones in light of our, our origin story. And so since that's the truth, let's... Just think kind of in closing, just three things that I would encourage you to do with this reality, with this truth. In order to live in the new normal of Pentecost promise, we must confidently step out in the Spirit's power. If, if we're going to live out this, this Pentecost promise out of the DNA that we have, we have got to confidently step out in the Spirit's power. And in so many ways in our world, that will make us not look normal. We, we, we will not look normal to them. Because we'll be stepping out to people who don't know Jesus to bring Jesus to them. And that was the essence of what was going on in Acts 2. It, I don't care what language you speak. As long as you're speaking the language that someone can hear the truth about about Jesus, the clearest goodness, the clearest grace. And maybe, maybe right now, maybe right now you just need to pray, Jesus, who have you brought into my life that I need to share your goodness and your mercy and grace with? See, if, if you're saved by Jesus as a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you, and he wants to empower you to step out to speak about him to people who don't know him. If it's been a long time since you have felt the movement of the Spirit in your life, I'm just going to challenge you with this question. When was the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? Because in Acts 2, there is a direct correlation to the Spirit of God being unleashed and the telling of of the good news of, of, of Christ. Second thing that I'd point out here, if you're going to live in the new normal of the Pentecost promise, we've got to, and I, I had to change this. I forgot, I left something out in your notes, so you'll have to add these words. You've got to boldly confront barriers to unity in the gospel. Boldly confront barriers to unity in the gospel. Real quickly, in Acts 2, there are four barriers that are immediately confronted that at, at Pentecost got demo, just demolished um, and the first is this. It was the, the, the gospel demolished the barrier um, of, of the ethnic barrier. It gets, it gets hit head on. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 9. That whole list. Those 15 kind of nations that are being spoken of here. People hearing the gospel in their own heart language. They're welcomed into this, this message. And friends. You and I. We live in a culture that in a heartbeat can become quickly divided over ethnic lines. We live in a culture like like that, it can happen. And as followers of Jesus, as the bride of Christ, if we're going to live out of our spiritual DNA at Pentecost, we've got to not only cross those lines, we've got to destroy them. We've got to actively be a part of, of tearing down any barriers to ethnicity or color of skin in order to share the good news. To share the good news with people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't think like us, who don't vote like us. We need to share the good news of Jesus because that's part of our origin story. Second barrier to the unity of the gospel that Pentecost tears down is gender. Gender. We see that both men and women, males and females, are filled with the Spirit of God. And they all start declaring the mighty works of God, sons and daughters. It says, Acts 2:17, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters, and they shall all prophesy. Now, buddy, if you think that gets funky in our culture, could you imagine in that deeply entrenched patriarchal society? Man, there there was a controversy, I'm sure, that broke out there. But the truth remains that on Pentecost, men and women were called by God and empowered by the Spirit to declare the mighty works of God. And we need to see that in our day. There needs to be that encouragement from the church. Third barrier to unity in the gospel that Pentecost tears down is age. Verse 17 says, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That's specifically pointing out the age difference, but it it shouldn't matter in the church. You know, old and young, united in the gospel. And I'm I'm asking you to join me in this prayer. I'm asking you not to pray that our church will be a multi-generational church. And you're saying, well, what's up with that, Joe? I'm asking you to pray more specifically that we will be an intergenerational church. Where the passion of the young rub up against the wisdom of the old through relationships. And we share in unity the gospel. I believe that's what, what God is calling Us too, and I'm asking you to pray that with me so that mentoring relationships can take place naturally to where it doesn't have to be a a program, where it's just part of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus' church. Friends, that was Pentecost, that's what was happening in this picture that we're given of Acts 2. A fourth barrier demolished at Pentecost that we see is that the Spirit falls on servants. As well as non-servants. If you look at verse 18. It specifically mentions. That it will fall on. Male and female servants. Now before those other descriptors. About the men and women. The old men. The young men. Those were non-servants. Those were people who had servants. But it goes on to specifically talk about. The servants. See at Pentecost. Social class. Economic status. Those barriers were torn down. So that we live. Out the biblical vision that God gave to, to Paul later. You, you know it from Galatians chapter 3 that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what we love? We love that phrase the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We just love that because we think okay and then I can stand there maybe. But friends, if the ground's level at the foot of the cross, at Jesus' cross, it's also got to be level in His church. There can't be, we can't look at people and see them with differences. You know, what so often tends to be normal church is this kind of homogeneous, hierarchical relationship structure. Acts chapter 2 The day of Pentecost tears that down when the church is born. Which leads me to my last point for the day. And it's simply this. And let me invite you to do this. Will you courageously pursue the Spirit's guidance? Courageously pursue this. See, God is still working through His Spirit to shape and guide His people, His church. And He wants to do it in naturally supernatural ways please hear me say this one more time prophetic words and dreams and visions are not to land on us with the same level of authority as the written word of God we've got to make sure that it lines up with the written word of God but when you do receive those words and you will if you're walking in the spirit test them test them If you don't, it can shipwreck your faith. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen in the last couple weeks. If you don't test them and make sure that that is what God is saying, it can shipwreck your faith. But here, don't let that fear stop you from courageously pursuing the Spirit's guidance. Don't, Don't shut the Spirit up. Pursue it. And that would that just comes in the form of praying a simple prayer. God, speak to me through your Spirit, Holy Spirit. I'm I, I, I'm open to hear you. And then would you give me, God, the, the the courage to speak out, to to talk about Jesus to those around me, to send a text message when God says you to check on somebody or or make a phone call. I can't tell you the numbers of times that I have. Follow through. I, there are a lot of times I didn't. But when the Spirit prompts me and I follow through and I, I call somebody and say, hey, I was reading this and, man, this verse, your name came. It was like it was connected to this. And I just felt like I should share this with you. And hear the person on the other end of the phone say something like, you have no idea how much I needed this today, right now. Here's what, here's what I'm going through. That's the movement of the Spirit, and He does that in you all the time. And we've got to hear Him, and then we've got to respond. It's part of our DNA. It's, it's in our bones. The Spirit of Pentecost is there. And it, friends, it does not have to be weird. It can just be naturally supernatural. It can be so, so beautiful, not normal. It'll be, a, it'll be a different kind of normal. But that is God's plan. Just, just go to him in that way. When I was thinking about origin stories, I like a good movie. And I love the Marvel comic movies. And almost all those superheroes, you know, have a, an origin story. You know, Spider-Man, he gets bitten by this spider that's, you know, radioactive. And he gets these, you know, superhuman powers. And Batman, you know, he he saw his parents murdered, and it transformed him into the Cape Crusader. All all, all those superheroes, you know, they have, they have, origin stories. They're made up. You have an origin story. It is supernatural. It is out of this world. Your origin story is Pentecost. It's the day that God sent His Spirit into you so that you will be supernaturally natural in a broken world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, celebrating the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in you, moving in you, prompting you to be a part of His great mission to change the world and bring much glory to your Father in Heaven and His Son, Jesus. Will you choose to be Spirit-filled people of Pentecost? That's God's call to us today. Pray with me. Jesus, we come in this moment. And we come, having walked through your Word today, I believe, Spirit, you were here leading us, moving on each of us in a different way, a unique way, to hear the truth about our, our DNA, about our origin story, about the birth of your church, and what's in our bones, because you're their Spirit living in us. And so we come now asking again, God, we don't wanna, Holy Spirit, we don't wanna sensationalize you, we don't wanna shut you down. We want, we want to surrender. We want to surrender to your voice, to, to your moving in us, individually and corporately as a church. We, we come in this moment, crying out, move over us. Fill us. Fill me with your presence and your power. Holy Spirit, fill us. Now we know if we're going to be filled we got to put down sin. we got to confess it. we got to agree with you, God, that it's destructive and it keeps us from being filled. So we choose again this day to confess it to you and repent of it. And we turn back to you, Spirit, because we're trusting that when we confess, you forgive us and you fill us. Fill us now. And then not only would you fill us individually, but Spirit, would you fill this place? with your presence and your power? Would you let it overflow in us? Would you, would you let it overflow? Would you let it just become so real in us, Spirit? Just please move in that way. Would you flow out of our hearts to others? Flow over us, Spirit, we pray. It's in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of you, precious Holy Spirit, we ask these things. And all God's people said...